I'll be reading from Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat, they said to him. That would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the, the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, we're in a series entitled Rediscovering Jesus, and this is one of the stories. I want to say something about rediscovering Jesus or looking at any scripture passage for that matter. When you look at a passage of scripture, as in this one, to try to rediscover or understand the life, the work, the teaching, the instruction of Jesus, you're going to encounter a number of themes. One you might call a primary theme, right? In any given passage, there's a primary theme that the whole passage is really all about. For instance, with this passage, or really any passage about Jesus, it's all about the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus announced at the very beginning of his ministry. I came to announce and to bring in the kingdom of God. So you look at this passage and you think to yourself, my, my, there's the kingdom of God. No one has a need. Everything is supplied. There's another major theme, though. As a matter of fact, if you continue to read in the book of Mark or some of the other Gospels, you'd find that following this episode, Jesus refers back to it and says to the disciples, let me tell you something about what just happened or what that was about. In effect, Jesus says, as you look back at what happened on that hillside when 5,000 people were fed with just those loaves of bread, it reminds you or ought to remind you that I'm the bread of life. The bread of life, which is not just for the body, but is for the soul. Those are major overarching themes in this passage, and in any passage you find those major dominant themes. But also, in every passage, if you listen carefully, study carefully, other themes will emerge that relate to being a follower of Jesus. I want to suggest this morning that a theme that emerges from this passage in a secondary level is a theme concerning what it means to be a partner with Jesus in ministry. 
Notice how the disciples experience partnership with Jesus in ministry. One other thing before we begin, uh, I want to mention this. If you are like me, you do your best to study the Scriptures. You take time, I hope you do, every day to read God's Word and to reflect on it. And if you do, like me, you're going to encounter what you might call dry spots, where you read it, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Nothing jumps out. Maybe it's because you're in the Old Testament and you're working your way through the book of Leviticus. What in the world? Or maybe it's when you're right in the middle of the Gospels and you're hearing a story about Jesus again, maybe for the 100th time, and you read it, and it's flat. You know, that happens to everybody, right? And here's the point. We have to keep on. You have to approach the Scriptures like someone who's mining for gold, who day after day puts that pan out there and sifts through the dirty water, and every once in a while a nugget emerges that transforms their life. That's what the Scriptures are like. Or like someone who searches for a treasure. We have that example in the Scripture itself. Someone who went for a priceless treasure. They worked diligently to find it, and then they found it. That's the way the reading of the Scripture is. You should invest lots of time and have lots of patience. And in the middle of that investment, Word of God will emerge for you. So, for that reason uncharacteristic of the way I begin, I want to stop, and I want to pray, and I want to ask God to allow things to emerge from this story, which most of you know very well, things to emerge that are for you and will transform your life. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the richness of your word. I thank you that we can turn to it day after day after day. And most of the time, Lord, the dryness that we encounter has nothing to do with the Word. It never does. Because your Word is powerful and sharp, like a two-edged sword, and it goes right to the heart of issues. So we pray for the next few moments that you will enlighten us so that we can see. Not just the things that I've seen and try to communicate, but things that you want the people to see. Open our eyes, Lord, to see new things. Open our ears, ears to, to hear the truth and, and open our hearts so that we not only reflect, but we're transformed and our hearts are reset to follow you. And we'll thank you for that. In the name of Christ, our risen Lord, we pray. Amen. I want to divide the passage up with three basic words. The first one is service, what I'll call a purpose for life. The second word is solitude, which I'm naming nourishment for service. And the third is sacrament, the very activity of God. First, we begin with service. 
Did you notice how the passage begins? The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because there were so many people coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus was with the disciples and they gathered around him and they told him all the things that were happening. You know what they told him? He had given them some instructions just a little bit earlier, the 12, and he said, I want you to go out and share the good news. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and share the good news naked. No, not really, completely naked. What I want you to do is go out with nothing. I don't want you to take a staff, which was always your traveling companion in the first century. I don't want you to take a bag so you can carry anything in it. And I don't want you to take any food. I don't want you to take anything but yourself. And I just want you to go and share the good news. You know what happened? They went and they shared the good news and every need they had was supplied. They just kept going and kept going and sharing the good news. And in the process of sharing the good news, with nothing, they began stunning to them. They began to be the instrument of God's grace in miraculous ways and people were healed routinely by their word and by their touch. So when the text says they came back to report to Jesus all they'd seen and heard, they were reporting these miraculous signs. They were saying to Jesus, oh my Lord, you sent us out with nothing and you did incredible things. The disciples were learning at that point in their life that they were chosen for a life of service. And that service was the purpose of their existence. And they were reporting it to Jesus. Disciples, the 12, and you. The same thing is true. You were chosen in advance, Paul says in Ephesians. Chosen by God before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless in his sight, but not just to be good. Not just to be holy and blameless in his sight. You were chosen to be a craftsmanship of his hand. A workmanship in his hand that he crafted so that you could do good works which were prepared in advance for you to do. God already carved out your existence. And he says to you, the fuel for living, the purpose of life is service. I call you to it. Give your life to it. Notice what happens next. They were so busy they didn't have a chance to eat and then Jesus says to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves into a boat to a solitary place uh, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot ahead of them. Jesus said, I want to tell you something my friends as he does to us today. Ministry, service is exhausting. And if you do not take time for refreshment and solitude, you will burn out. It's inevitable. I call you to serve, but I also call you to solitude. What should we do with these words of admonition? With Jesus' example? I would imagine that with the hundreds of people that are here, every single one of you has something that relates to service in your life. Somebody you're serving. 
Maybe it's just because you're a mother or a father. Maybe it's because you're a leader in the place that you work. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure that every one of you is called to service, and I'm also sure that in the activity of service, every one of you could get exhausted, absolutely overwhelmed. First thing I think of when I think of that kind of service, I don't mean to be stereotypical, but it's just true, is, is mothers. They just serve and serve and serve and give and give and give. And they're exhausted. Fathers do the same. Other people do things. But service will completely wear you out. Because you're not just doing, you're giving of yourself. And if you find yourself in that place, please understand the importance of solitude and refreshment. You have got to take a break, says Jesus, in order to nourish yourself so you can be nourished? Actually, no. To nourish yourself so you can turn back to service because you were made for that. I'm not a mother, obviously, um, but I can remember when we had small children. And I can remember at the end of a day where I'd served, I would be tired and frankly, tired of people. And maybe you were some of those people on one day. I don't know. I, I was just tired. And when it was time to go home, you know what I knew, right? As soon as I walked in the front door, those two delightful bits of humanity, the joy of my life would jump on me and what my attention. I, I yeah. On any given day now, I wish they would just show up like that again, but they don't. But so many times when I walked in that front door, I just felt like I couldn't do it. I worked through it, tried to be the dad, tried to serve, but I was exhausted. And you know what I would start to do after a while? I would take just a few minutes at the end of my day, and I would leave the office, and I would drive to Bryan Park. There's a big parking lot over there. And I would just park my car, and I lay back my seat, and I keep the windows up, and the cell phone was off, and nobody could call me, and I couldn't hear anything except my thoughts. For about 10 minutes, I would just sit there, just for refreshment. See, refreshment that comes through solitude, it doesn't have to be extensive and long and huge, but it's incredibly important if you're going to be a servant to other people because the nourishment you receive from that time of refreshment is for the purpose of turning back to service again. So how did it happen in this text? Notice, so they went away to the, by themselves to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed, by the way, son of God, Jesus, he was exhausted too. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them like he couldn't help it, tired or not. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He has a little bit of solitude on the lake with his disciples and then he turns right back 
to service with them. And then a most amazing thing happens that I'm calling sacrament, the activity of God. In the midst of this service, God, through Jesus Christ, does what he routinely does. He took things that were absolutely common elements and turned them into a miraculous activity from the kingdom of heaven, invading the space of reality that we call the real world. That's what a sacrament is, by the way. It's when the grace of God so infuses and interrupts life that it takes things that are manifestly simple and explodes them into a miraculous reality. So he takes these simple elements, bread and fish, and multiplies them. Right here at this table, in a few minutes, you're going to come forward and tear off a piece of bread. I think they got it at Marsh or someplace like that. You could have used it for dinner today, but not here. That ordinary plain bread is pulled off and dipped in ordinary plain juice. And it represents the body and blood of Christ. The most miraculous transforming event in the history of the world. Real body, real blood of Jesus, sacrificed for our sins, represented in this meal. A few Sundays ago, there's a tank over there, and we uncovered it in the first service, and we baptized two young boys. They could have taken a bath in the water if it had been another place. But on that occasion, it became sacred water. Oh, not because it's magic, but because it symbolizes a reality that's far above the water itself. Water could never wash away sins, but in those waters, we remember that Christ absolves our sins and gives us eternal life. And the ordinary water in that tub is transformed into the miraculous grace of God. Not because it saves, but because it's a symbol of how God saves. That was the sacrament that happened on that hillside that day. N notice what happened right before it began. Jesus asked some interesting questions and engaged in some interesting dialogue, and the disciples were a part of that dialogue. Basically, the disciples said, look around you. There's no food for these people. What are we going to do? And Jesus turned to them and said, why don't you feed them? Are you serious? Wouldn't you love to have been them on that occasion? You feed them. It's as though Jesus wanted to highlight their absolute inadequacy. It's as though he wanted to say to them, you feed them, you know you can't, so go ahead and do it. You know what's ironic to me? They had just seen all kinds of healing miracles. Why is it it was so hard for them to believe that Jesus could do something that would satisfy this teeming multitude? I don't know, but they hadn't seen it yet. Maybe that's the reason. But once they understood their inadequacy and knew that they had needs that were above their heads, then Jesus said, what do we have? And a little boy came forward and gave him his loaves of bread, which were tiny little things, barley loaves, the, the bread of the poor, and, and fish. And the fish were probably like little pieces of saturated with salt sardines something that would preserve. It's like Jesus said, what do we have? And some kids said, I got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
And Jesus said, that'll do. Bring it to me. And then, of course, it multiplies and it feeds 5,000 people and they pick up 12 full basketfuls of leftovers. The sacrament of the grace of God is right before their very eyes. You know that child? I, I love that child. Because he was too young and naive to worry about being foolish. If you'd have had that, would you have had the courage to look so foolish as to say, here, feed him with this? But he did. And Jesus took that small portion and fed all those people. What do you see in this passage related to participation with Jesus in ministry? The first thing I see is in order to participate with Jesus in ministry, you've got to walk through the difficult times. You've got to go out without a staff. You've got to go out without food. You've got to go out without a bag. You have to walk through the details of life, which are onerous sometimes and oppressive and hard. And in the midst of walking through life like that, you continue to participate with Jesus in ministry, and then the grace of God just pours over your head. Second thing I notice about this passage is this. You've got to take time for refreshment. I've mentioned it already. If you're serving and you don't pause, you'll eventually pause forever. Don't be that person. Third thing I notice in the story about ministry is that you've got to get to the place, it seems like to me, that you realize you don't have anything. That's the example of Jesus sending them out without anything. It's the example of them when they tried to figure out what to do. Jesus said, you feed them. And they said, what? I don't have the goods for this. When you get to that place, you are ready in a new kind of way to participate in the life of Christ and to be a participant, a partner in his ministry. Fourth thing I'm reminded of as I look at this passage is it reminds me and you not to despise the small things. Not to underestimate the activity of God. Not to despise the small things in others or in yourself. You know what? I would imagine that most of you are going to leave today and think to yourself, what do I have? Instead of thinking, I got something to share. You're going to say, what do I have? And what you're going to mean by that routinely is I don't have anything. I don't have enough. My gifts are not dramatic enough. They're not big enough. And Jesus says to you, I already know all of your gifts. And I'm looking at them right now, my friend. And I'm saying... I can do something with that. Just surrender it to me. And I'll make it miraculous. Oh, by the way, you might never see the miracle. That's walking by faith. You might see snippets of the miracle. But I promise you, if you walk step by step with Jesus and surrender your gifts to him, He'll multiply them 
and you will be nourished and enriched to follow him more and love him more deeply and your life will be a joy because you were created for that, to follow Jesus and to be a partner in ministry with him. Wow. Called to be a ministry partner with Jesus? What could be greater than that? Let's pray. Lord, you've given us grace upon grace. You call us to particular callings. And sometimes, quite frankly, Lord, we don't even know our calling. (laughs) We're, We're bewildered about how you would use us. But Lord, in the midst of those questions, which are legitimate, help us to be reductionistic. Help us just to say, okay, here's what I have. I can't be big. I can't be great. But I've got this. Lord, take it and use it. Some people, Lord, are giving of their time. Some people are giving of their talent. And some people who don't feel like they have any of the first two are giving of their treasure. Lord, remind them as they give that it's for the kingdom of God and you will take it and you will multiply it for the kingdom of God. And Lord, as we do, give us the grace to continue and also give us the encouragement that you're at work in our life so that we can be nurtured together in our life for one another and for the world and that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray, amen.